back to the Deeper Dive podcast produced locally in the Archdiocese of Wa- Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. Here at Sacred Heart Roman Catholic Church in La Plata, Maryland. My name is Bill Winnell. Once again, joined by Father Larry Swink. Hey, Bill. Father Scott Woods. Hey, Bill. And Father Jack Berard. Hey, Bill. Today, we're going to talk about the three hours or tre ore, um, the last seven words, which really aren't words. Um, and we're going to start with Father Jack. Uh, with I thirst first, Father. All right, thanks, Bill. You know the um, this this phrase, this very brief phrase of Christ's I thirst has kind of several layers, as all of them do. There's the um, very literal phrase that that comes out, right, which is that he literally was thirsty. I mean, this is a man who has been deprived, who has you know sweated out blood the night before, who's been deprived of drink, deprived of food, has been beaten down. I mean, he's I mean, he's literally dying in, of, of exhaustion, you know, so much so that he fell, falls three times on the way to the cross. And and he just physically needs some sustenance. And and you know, the, there's a misunderstanding, I guess, or kind of a fulfillment, really, of the, the soldier who places a sponge filled with gall, right? In my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink, says the psalmist. Um, he puts it on a hyssop rod, right? Which is uh, uh, because, which is only remarkable because Psalm fifty-one uh, makes reference to the fact that we're we're cleansed and purified by by hyssop, um, and he and he puts it out, and and Jesus does take it, right? Um, but with that, there's there's a there's a greater layer. There's th- that's kind of that very literal understanding of this word, but. But we see that it is Jesus thirsting more for for the world, right? Um, so much so that every every chapel of the missionaries of charity throughout the world, right next to their cross, they they pl- place on the, the this these two words, "I thirst," um, this phrase of Christ, because she saw that vision of Christ thirsting for souls, right? Thirsting for more to come to Him, um, that. Within that thirst, there is a desire of Christ that is unfulfilled and truly unfulfillable. Um, the one thing we kind of overlook sometimes when we talk about the infinitude of or the infinity of Christ um, or of God, I should say, is that He. <laughs> it's not just He can never be exhausted on His own, but that He truly desires in an inexhaustible way. He desires to be merciful in an exhaustible way. He desires to be glorified in an inexhaustible way that because because he it can never be completed and defined in such easy ways, he's always going to be thirsty. He's always going to have this um, this need for more. But on the cross, as he empties himself out, as he shows himself both human and and so that he can show himself all the more divine in the resurrection, he he has this moment of, of crying out so that we know that this moment isn't just an unjust killing. It isn't just about uh, the rashness of man. It isn't the, the simple evils that we tend to commit, but rather it's, it's deicide. <laughs> it is the killing of God who, uh, who desires more from us, desires our, our completeness and desires us to come to him and from the cross where he makes good all of the failures of the world that have come to that point and will ever come. And it's just a drop in the bucket. He's able to make this cry of I thirst so that we know that his love is ever abounding, that his love is perfect and that his love is 
is so much so that he thirsts for us to come to him. Father Larry, behold your mother. Yeah. So, yeah, you can imagine the the sentiments of Our Lady's heart as she's watching her son die on the cross and our Lord Jesus looking down at his uh, perfect mom. And he says uh, to John, behold your mother. Uh, and he, and uh, you know, John Paul II, uh, in speaking about this in a letter that's actually called Behold Your Mother, um, basically said the intention was not so much that he gave his mom, you know, to, to John, but he gave the church to his mom. And that uh, we see here very clearly that Jesus Christ is identifying his mother as being the woman that is spoken about in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. This woman that would uh, basically um, you know, crush the head of the serpent. And, um, and I think, too, for all of us, especially as Catholics, we see that uh, our Lord gave us a great gift uh, moments before he died, which he says basically in this beautiful line in John, in John chapter 19, that my mom's your mom. And, but it also says later that John took her into his home, which shows us that it's appropriate for us to have a devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And I'm sure all Catholics know we don't worship Mary and we don't put Mary in the same on equal stand with God, of course. But Mary has a, a place in our home and that she's our mom, our spiritual mother. And um, so uh, basically we just see here in this, in this, in this beautiful text that um, we, 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 the church and all believers uh, were given uh, Jesus' mom to be our mom that we can turn to, especially when we're suffering, when we're uh, struggling uh, and she can intercede for us. Father Scott, uh, Father, forgive them. <clears throat> Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke 23, 34. If a father already knows what the son is thinking. He already knows uh, this is on the heart of his son. And yet, uh, but through these words, the father and the son invite us into their thinking, is what one of the commentaries I was reading was saying. The very, very beautiful. They, they make us aware that forgiveness is offered to us through the sacrifice and that through forgiveness ourselves, we are freed from sin and the lies that trap us. And so uh, Luke records the first of the seven last sayings. This was the, the first one. Jesus was fulfilling the prophecy in Isaiah uh, that makes uh, it makes clear the suffering servant that intercession for the transgressors of others is what this person does. Uh, he, he makes intercession. And therefore that it centers us on the reality of that why the Lord is doing what he's doing but also inviting us to do what he does. Also inviting us to do what he does. Although because of sin, we too were enemies of God. He never turned cold-hearted toward us, as Jesus' words were so powerfully demonstrate here. Can we therefore do anything less than strive to love our, your, our enemies? Bless those who curse us. Do good to those who hate us. And pray for those who spitefully use us and persecute us. That we're then invited to do as he does. And... Of course, uh, this this ignorance one can argue whether you know some those who have culpable or inculpable ignorance, and yet our Lord is is so very merciful towards them, and, and just that that reminder of how uh, we are called to imitate what He has done. 
Father Jack, uh, my God, my God. Yeah, from from the cross of Christ, uh, in Matthew's gospel, we hear at about three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is probably one of these passages that um, it's probably caused a lot of confusion in, in many people's hearts, right? Because there's a, um, you know, uh, a, a great moment of, of detachment and abandonment that Christ um, offers, right, in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, not my will, but your be done. Uh, you know, that, that, that would appear that this kind of contradicts this, this why would you forsake me, God? Um, and and t- at initial hearing, I think I think there is an amount of that, um, but but the fuller context is that sometimes it's it's um, it's just the first line that expresses the longer prayer, right? Um, you know, we talk about the fact of go pray in our Father, right? And that that's how we name our prayers. Well. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is the start of Psalm 22, a psalm that's uh, prayed several times throughout Lent, um, which does start with a great, great abandonment. Why are you so far from helping me? From the words of my groaning, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. Then it, then it goes, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. That Christ does make this cry. He makes this great prayer of, why have you abandoned, forsaken, you know, uh, and forsaken me? Uh, why have you left me to this this moment? Well, it, yes, it is painful. Yes, he is recognizing the trial and the tribulation, the suffering that he is in, and there is no doubt about it. Uh, there is no <laughs> maybes. Uh, that Christ is feeling on a very human level all of the pain and suffering that he is supposed to be feeling. <laughs> nailed to the cross, whip scourged thirty nine times. That he uh, that uh, as he is beaten over and over again by several different <laughs> levels of authority, uh, spat upon, mocked, buffeted. Uh, that he does feel it all, but in the midst of it, he's still able to recognize the sanctity of the Father, the the holiness of Him, and because of that, he's able to to cry out in hope. Uh, he's able to say this line that, that's in a loud voice, and then you just imagine him uh, saying the loud part and then mumbling the rest. It's actually kind of cool in the uh, old rite of the Mass. The the priest, is, at least in the low Mass, some, or, or oftentimes will pray, Our Father, and then drop his voice and in almost inaudibly say the rest. That also uh, is true here, I think that Christ makes that loud cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he prays the rest of the psalm, saying, yes, it is painful, it is hard, and it feels as if I am alone. But it's also one of hope and joy. It is one of recognizing that the greatness of God will overcome even the greatest of our tribulations, a truth that is still found to all those baptized in Christ. For we know that even our death will be overcome by this death of Christ. Father Larry, it is finished. Yeah, yeah and it, it is finished, the second to last word of Jesus Christ. And, uh, uh, you know, right here we see he's about to die. And, um, 
you know, the, I think it's, it's good to know the original word, which is talistai, and it has a, a, a rich, a rich word meaning to it. And uh, I mean, obviously a lot of biblical commentators will uh, look at this in different ways, but you know, the question is, what is it? What's the it uh, that is finished? And I mean, obviously it's the work of salvation that Jesus uh, has finished the work of the father by dying on the cross, which actually is also finished with the resurrection, but that he is, he has um, completed this job to die for our sins. And, and I think uh, that he, and I think unfortunately some people think, well, that doesn't, we don't have to do anything, but it's, it's the, the end of the, the old covenant. All the old sacrifices are no longer uh, needed that Jesus has died on the cross. He's the sacrificial lamb. Uh, he died at three o'clock in the afternoon. And this would have been the same time that the last lamb would have been sacrificed in the temple. And no longer would lambs need to be sacrificed because Jesus is the lamb of God. And he has finished, uh, he has completed this sacrifice. The other thing too, it ties in with that. The Hebrew word uh, would be a word that the, uh, the the Hebrew equivalent of this word uh, used uh, was spoken by the high priest when he was presented a sacrificial lamb without spot or, or blemish. So a Jewish person would understand that, you know, basically that Jesus is that, that perfect sacrifice that uh, makes up for the sins of the world on the cross. And then another, another way of uh, looking at this is that um, this word uh, that would, been used to talk about sort of a business in the business world is that the, the payment has been paid that that there's the, the payment has been paid and when a debt was fully paid off uh, you you know if you if you you know finished a, a payment uh, you would receive a piece of parchment which would be you know our equivalent to paper and the debt was recorded and stamped with the word telestai which means paid in full and so Jesus, you know, on the cross has taken upon the, the debt, you know, for our, for our sins on the cross by the shedding of his blood. And, um, and, and I think, too, uh, which is also important, is that uh, in Greek times, this particular word, it is finished, or uh, this teta, teta, <laughs> I can't really say this word well, but tetelestai uh, is sort of a, uh, a word that talked about a turning point where one period ended and this new period began. Right. And so we see here that uh, once again, that no longer do we, do we need this, these old Testament sacrifices, but this new, the new uh, covenant has begun. And, um, and it also ties in very beautifully with the mass because um, uh, if you look at the Gospel of Mark, you know, Jesus at the Last Supper, he drank three cups and, and he did not finish the last cup, you know, which was uh, the final cup of the Passover meal. And he said this word right after he, he tasted the wine. And then he says, it is finished. Okay, so in, in essence, he's connecting also Calvary with the Holy Mass. And, and we know this is that we as Catholics, we receive the graces of Calvary at every single Mass. And so it is, and, and I think, you know, uh, you know, maybe Father Jack can correct me on this, but at the end of Mass, we say sort of in some ways, Ita Misa asked, in some ways could be looked at is it is finished, but, you know, the work, of, you have to go out and do this work now, you know, that you've received the graces of Calvary 
at the end of mass, it is consummated, right? So there's a lot of beautiful imagery of Jesus completing the work of salvation, but also that this work is that this, this, uh, you know, the graces of salvation and redemption are given to us when we, when we go to the Holy Mass. <clears throat> Father Scott, amen. I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Of course, <clears throat> this is our Lord's response uh, after uh, first dealing with uh, the bad thief on his, traditionally on his left, uh, who, of course, tries to tempt him to say, uh, you know, take us off of here. And, of course, the good thief who truly does believe and recognizes our Lord uh, and, and, and reprimands uh, the bad thief and recommends to our Lord that, that uh, you know, uh, remember me when you come into your kingdom, which uh, we've heard so often chanted and since so many, uh, so many people have uh, remembered and used so often in their prayer um, as, as a way of entering deeper into meditation on this. And we know that the, the penitent thief acknowledged his guilt and wickedness and was welcomed by Christ. You know, he... he acknowledge who he was and what he was about. We too can find salvation if we acknowledge our sinfulness. We too can find salvation when we uh, open ourselves to receiving his mercy, particularly in the, in the sacrament of reconciliation. Um, the completely innocent uh, Christ was given two criminals as his companions, as one commentary says, as he hung from the cross. One of them railed at him, demanding that he save them all, if he truly was the Christ, but of course save them this life save this life that is passing away. The other rebuked the first for not fearing God, God's uh, present in Christ, who suffered the same punishment as theirs, even though he was innocent. And, of course, this one then asked for a life eternal. So one thief looks down at the life he wants here on earth. The other looks up to the eternal life. He does not ask our Lord to, to spare him that. And then I was reading this uh, a great little commentary here. Uh, according to tradition, the good thief was crucified to Jesus' right, and the other thief was crucified to his left. For this reason, depictions of the crucifixion of Jesus often show Jesus' head inclined to his right, showing his acceptance of the good thief. And at least in the Russian Orthodox Church, both crucifixes and crosses are usually made with three bars, the top one representing the uh, inscription of Pontius Pilate that was nailed uh, to Jesus, above Jesus' head, the longer cross bar on which bar on which Jesus' hands were nailed, and a slanted bar at the bottom representing the footrests uh, to which Jesus' feet were nailed. The footrest, though, is slanted, pointing up towards the good thief, the painting and uh, and painting and pointing down towards the other. And so, even our, much our word, there's this connection to the our Lord's desire to show forgiveness. And then, of course, this the good thief is, is traditionally, we call him St. Dis, Dismas, if I got that right, <laughs> whose feast day was March the 25th, the same always, traditionally is the same as the Annunciation, um, because there was a huge connection um, between the two, how he was, so was, was also proclaiming his faith in the Lord, and even there on that cross. And it's just a reminder for us as we're suffering, even uh, different sufferings of, of the body and of of in life um, that we're called to be like the good thief or temptations to be like the bad thief and complain and, 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 and be upset. But really we're meant to be like the good thief who, despite the physical um, realities of what he recognized, Hey, I don't deserve anything good and I don't deserve good. And so Lord, just remember me when you come into your kingdom. <clears throat> Father Jack, finally um, into your hands, I commend my spirit. 
Yeah, so these, this last last word of, uh, coming from Luke's gospel, right? It was, um, is, is that he, he cries out this, these last word, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Um, this prayer is actually taken up in night prayer, like the, the comp line, the official prayer of the church. It said literally every night. <laughs> um, uh, Almost, almost without fail, actually, um, except for a few occasions throughout the year, um, that that this becomes the antiphon of the churches, as because there's kind of a small tradition of every sleep is like a little death, right? Cause in part because we have no control usually over ourselves when we're sleeping, um, not total, but but you know we we things happen that we don't have control over, like dreams, um, and and we don't. We're not productive like we were, right? We're kind of lost to the world, and especially in a time before cell phones woke us up all the time. The idea was that as you're sleeping, uh, you're taking on kind of a, a imitation of or uh, or a pre preface of, of death, right? And so, um, so we ask for that. We ask for that uh, recognition, right? Uh, when when we're praying as a church, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. You have redeemed us, Lord God of truth. I commend my spirit. Um, it's a beautiful thing to kind of constantly have germinating, uh, uh, constantly have at the forefront of our mind to meditate upon that, that this last word sh- is meant to be our prayer, that it's meant to be uh, how we live our life, how we should be prepared to be able to say this, um, that, that what do we commend uh, or to whom do we commend? Uh, it's the most important things. Uh, it's, it's the mission that we're given uh we commend to people the um you know um certain rules we commend to people certain tasks um we commend to people that which is most important right we're not just giving we're not just handing over we're we have this particular word for the sake of saying this is something unique this is something that is of my my very being right and and be, after he's able to say this, after he's able to breathe this out, you can only imagine with great agony and sorrow, with great stress, is he able to finally breathe his last. And it causes a centurion to, to say, truly this was a son of God, right? That, that, uh, that with these words that were probably amongst the most special of what Christ spoke from, from this place that, um, that many of the... Uh, Spiritual writers in the church's tradition refer to as the pulpit of the cross. Uh, he's able to make this claim that makes its way into our prayer. That's supposed to make its way into our heart and onto the forefront of our mind, so that we can live in this same way, uh, handing ourselves over to the Father in small and large ways, and handing ourselves in the most of Im- most uh, vital ways to His will that it always be done above our own. When I was re- <clears throat> when we first decided to do this, I was just doing a little research. I was kind of shocked to to read if if again if this is true that the, the tradition this tradition is only like three hundred years old. Yeah, I, I it yeah. just it, I thought it would be much much older than that. No, no, it, yeah. I mean, I've I've seen it done uh, in several places. Usually, you would have uh, maybe a, a larger contextual reading of, of each of the words and then a, uh, a hymn of some sort or, or an antiphon at least in between each of the words. So so when you have it preached live, and, and of course each of the reflections will be longer than the three minutes we attempted to do here, uh, you know, 
it, it would take, you know, probably an hour, an hour and a half of, you know, so it's not like really three hours, even though that's what it says it is. It's that three hours refers to the reflection of the three hours of Christ on the cross, right? And if you kind of combine it with the fact that you would often do stations at 12 and, you know, you would have these reflections and then you would have the liturgy, it, it, it overall would kind of encompass that entire time um, from 12 to 3. So when he's, when he is raised up on the cross to when he, he finally dies. Yeah. You gave me a lot to think about for my Good Friday. There you go. <laughs> but, you, I mean, I think, you know, it's one of those things where you, you, you sit there and it, I think we've all wanted to preach the seven last words, yeah. but then you're like, I mean, I think the rubrics say it's supposed to be a brief homily yeah. in Good Friday, but it, it is, it is there, there's so much just in those words yeah. that, that could be used, you know. Uh, for preaching, each one of them. Yeah, and there's great. I mean, I got to say, I, I've got. I'm I'm in the middle of reading Saint Robert Bellarmine's book um, on the Seven Last Words of Christ, and Fulton Sheen mm. has actually several books on the Seven Last Words of Christ. So I've got that. Huh. I've got like an anthology for it. I mean, I think he wrote either three or four different books on the Seven Last Words from different perspectives. It's really I, I I've only read it, a little bit of it, but. Um, yeah, it's it's incredibly rich the reflection and the tradition of the church on these words. Um, we're, I mean, we I wouldn't even say we scratched the surface, that, you know, um, compared to the wisdom of, of what we're yeah. able to offer. But Father Jack, a question that just uh, is, uh, you know, where it says I was trying to connect it with the mass with it is finished, but isn't there a connection with the end of mass with it is finished uh, indirectly? Uh, I mean, that's the thing. So, so. Uh, it is so when he says it is finished, it's usually consummatum est, is usually how I think yeah. it's, it's written in the Vulgate. Vulgate and uh, and the dismissal is ite misa est, which is kind of go forth, it, it, it yeah. is done, right? Like it is just, and like right. it is sent. It's done. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, there's there's definitely a, a root somewhere in there, um, right? That, that makes it, I mean, there's no doubt that it is uh, a connection, right? Yeah, right. Real quick, <clears throat> real quick, much has been made a lot of times to try to disprove the, I guess the existence of purgatory with, with the, with the word today in, in the part right. that you wrote father meaning today, you'll be in paradise with me today. Um, any, do we read anything in the, the, the word today or is it? You got a plenary indulgence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I, I actually started to read on that and then I thought, Oh, I'll never have enough time. To explain all that. So, Sorry about that. So that'll have to, we'll have to have to do another well, episode. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think it comes down where our Lord just gave him that perfect, you know, it, it was an act of perfect contrition. Sure. Right. And uh, I mean, our Lord just like, look, I'm just, I, I don't, I think it's, it's outside the, the realm of legalism. I mean, he's just like, you know, you make this out of faith. You're, you're with me dying. I'm going to let you come home today. You know, now here's the other thing. Let's well, let's look at it this way. He said today, not immediately. Well, that's and that's what one of the commentaries was beginning yeah. to talk. I mean, about. he could he could have been in purgatory for you know five hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean that's I that's know. what exactly one of the t- because because sometimes we can again forget that just a saint doesn't mean that you're going to not go through purgatory. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, uh, <clears throat> for all of you, happy uh, <laughs> enjoy. Uh, look forward to the next three days to Triduum. I know all of you were, have some part, uh, some more than others. But uh, thanks for doing this, and uh, happy Easter. Can we get a blessing? 
Sure. Our hope is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. earth. By the intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, uh, St. Joseph, uh, your most chaste spouse, and through the Sacred Heart of Jesus, may the, blessed of Almighty, may the blessing of Almighty God come down upon you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.